If you've spent any time on Logistics LinkedIn, you've probably seen Michael Nemi giving out free sales game that's must-see material. That's because he thinks in the long haul, not in the short term when it comes to his sales approach. Hello again, my name is Blythe Bremleven. I own the company DigitalDispatch.io, where we help to make the world of websites and marketing less confusing. I also host a show on FreightWaves called Cyberly, where it appears every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, where I break down the latest in B2B marketing and the attention economy. Plus, I get to talk to some really smart people. One of those recent people is Michael, because if you're working in any kind of sales role, not just on the brokerage side of logistics, he helps you to think outside the box to ensure longevity plus prosperity. Hope you guys all enjoy this episode and come away with some really insightful sales tactics and how marketing can help sales teams achieve those goals too. So the reason I wanted to have our next guest on as a little bit of a segue, because as I'm talking about outsourcing your marketing and then talking about in bringing sales more into the process, the reason I wanted to have our next guest on is over the last year, we have seen some of those lines blur between sales and marketing. So let's go to the freight sales expert himself, Michael Nimi. He's an agency owner and VP of Supply Chain Solutions. Welcome in, Michael. What's up? <laughs> finally, I'm glad to finally have you on the show. And and I think for for most folks who who follow you on LinkedIn, or maybe they they don't follow you on LinkedIn, but hopefully will after this show. Wh- how did you get into the world of logistics? Sort of break down how you, how you got started in and what your current role is. Uh so yeah, I like most people, no one really goes unless you're like strictly going in for supply chain, but. Again, on the sales side, I don't think anybody really goes into college thinking, "Hey, I'm gonna, you know, get into shipping." Um, funny story, you know, I graduated, ended up working as a bar manager for like six months. Didn't really know what I wanted to do, um, and then got called by a recruiter, Chaz. Shout out to Chaz uh, to work for a company, Worldwide Express, back in what 2014, and you know, that's where it all started. Um, Built my career uh, at Worldwide Express, um, moved into leadership at Worldwide Express. I was there for about like four, four and a half years. Then kind of, you know, dipped my toe in a couple different companies. Kind of just got sick of, you know, having to, you know, again, I think there's, I want to, I want to point this out. I think there's value in, you know, working for big corporations. You learn a process and whatnot. But at some point, you know, I just said, hey, I I don't want to really work for anybody else. Um, and which led me into, you know, global trans, um, Brian Coleman, again, shout out to Brian Coleman. Uh, he recruits like agents from global trans for global trans. And this dude was literally trying to get me to come over to global trans since I think 2016. And oh, wow. I didn't, yeah. Right. So talk about persistence, never pushy. <laughs> there was a couple different times that that was still, even when I was at worldwide express, uh, yeah, I just moved into leadership and again, never pushy was just kind of trying to fill me out what, what I was looking for and just stayed persistent. So that kind of really always stuck out to me. It was like, Hey, listen, if I'm going to go this route, um, on top of, you know, amongst other things that global trans offers, I was like, you know, just something about that where it's like this person was, I wasn't just like another number to them. They were literally persistent in getting me to come over to Global Trans on the agency side for what four four years. So, so now, you put in the work. Uh, what'd you say? 
I said, so, so he really, he put in the work because you, you, your, your common phrase that you say pretty often is real is rare. So oh, it, yeah. uh, would you say that that is where the, I guess, sort of the inspiration for that phrase came from is when you started on your agency path? Yeah, no, I, I, I've always, so it's funny is I, I was probably like the worst person to try to sell because like I get, we almost get to the final like end of like, okay, maybe he thought he was going to be like, okay, Nimi's going to come over now. And I'd be like, no, I'm just, I'm fine where I'm at right now. And I was like, you know, thinking back at it, it's like, damn it. But he stayed persistent. He didn't burn the bridge. I mean, you, you, you hear me talk about, I'm, I'm, you know, a lot of agents I know that come over are really just focused on bringing the book of business or they're more transactional. Whereas I have never sold transactional deals. So I was very, you know, um, interested in, you know, I was like, Hey, put me in contact with your managed trans people. And this is back before I, this was three years before I even signed. Right. So he was getting me in front of people at global trans that could, you know, potential uh, again, from a managed transportation standpoint, so he was doing all the work. It, I don't know. He was just, it, he's just a good dude and persistent. And that's someone, again, put aside all the bells and whistles that Global Trans offers. That's just someone I trust, right? Like, regardless, I'm just like, okay, this guy, he's been this persistent. I, 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 I trust him. I'm not just a number. So the, the, the real is rare probably came from him then, I would imagine, or the inspiration from it. But it's, it's the, sort of that work ethos, I think. No, real is rare has like always been something. I mean, I, I got a tattooed on me. It's always been, <laughs> I think it's like unapologetically yourself, right? And, it, you know, we all say we're real, but to what extent, right? And I've always just, again, you know, unless you're like blatantly just like disrespectful, but like I just always found it, you know, fascinating people, like whether I, even the people I don't necessarily like, but they're just themselves. I can appreciate that, right? And you can, you, you just can feel the vibe of someone that is literally unapologetically themselves. And again, it goes back to even if I don't like that person, there's a lot of people that I probably wouldn't hang out with or even like that are just so real that I can appreciate that. And two, I just trust those people. Like if someone told me to F off and just was real though, it's like I trust that person more than someone that just isn't as real i mean i know it sounds right. kind of kind of corny but i mean again it, you could if you know you know and i feel it's like a, you know most people can feel it out that hey this person's actually just 100 percent themselves no I, I i agree completely because i think that you can tell it, it, the word authenticity is thrown around all the time but i think that yeah. that is really that, that that's what it draws back to is are you authentic in what you're saying and what are you practicing what you're preaching and and can people trust you with the advice that that you're giving out and sort of that that brings me to my next question which historically speaking marketing and sales you, you know you, you, I, in in this conversation for for perspective i'm going to represent the marketing role you're representing the sales role They've had kind of a rocky relationship. What are some of the things that marketers like myself can do for sales that uh, that I would say are historically a waste of time? And then what can they do that they're not that they can help sales out even more? Yeah. So I mean, I know we kind of I give you a little bit more context on on my side of things from even like college, right? I like minored in marketing uh, and majored in public relations. So you know, PR was definitely you know very broad. We got a little taste of everything. I think market like I think from a sales standpoint, 
most salespeople have a huge ego and don't realize like our job to me, my job is easy, right? It's, it's the other people that really keep the, you know, are the glue, right? Marketing, um, operations, accounting, credit, collections. So from a marketing standpoint, I think that where companies, I guess, fail is it's just, if you look at like a company's page, right? Most companies' pages are so horrible. All they do is talk about culture. They don't really talk about anything about their target audience. Like, think about it. No one's like, you look at a company's page, it's so, it just, to me, it's so cookie cutter-ish, right? So it's like, that's where, from a, just a strictly a sales standpoint, I think you need to have, you need to be a mark. You need to market yourself. You need to market, you know, who you're going after as a target audience. And, you know, only tips I could give to, you know, strictly just someone that is marketing spend some both both sales and marketing people marketing meet our sales meeting sales people spend time with the marketing department building out you know i don't know content that's going to target customers that you are your target audience right because no one's really i don't at least i don't see it from a company standpoint really targeting any type of challenges that you know their current target customers are having and that's an issue it's like Everybody, they just talk about company culture and I get they got to recruit people and that's that's great. But there needs to be more content uh, around what does your customers want and needs? What are those wants and needs and targeting those, if that makes sense to you? It, it does because I, in a previous role, I served as editor in chief of a of a magazine, and the most I got out of our sales meetings was actually sitting in on the meetings that they would have with customers and learning what they were trying to pitch to the customers and how we can make it work from an editorial standpoint. And so that applies to logistics as well. Every marketer should be sitting in with the sales team, listening to what those conversations yeah. are with prospects and customers, and what those conversations sound like because. Because if you're not doing that, then you don't have any idea what to put on your website, in your email, on social. You have no idea. You're just sort of flying blind. So I think well, that I think that's are like so Sorry, but that's why things are so like cookie cutter. It's like you look exactly. on websites straight up. It's like, cool, we do it all. Like, it's just, I mean, it's pathetic. I mean, it, it, <laughs> I mean, it, it, I mean, straight up, it's like, okay, what, what, I, I, it's almost like you don't even, you don't companies don't even know like who their target audience is. Right. And if that's the case, I mean, here, listen, I'm not going to, I'm not sitting here trying to reinvent the wheel for, you know, these large organizations or even say anything bad about it. But I think this, if you are in sales, you're not going to reinvent the wheel at, and you work for a large company or even any company, you're not probably not going to reinvent the wheel for your entire marketing. Right. But I would say is what you can do is market yourself and get close with whoever you have. If your company has like marketing uh, managers or even just marketing people, right? Get close with them. Start bringing that, like you said, start bringing them on your meetings. Because guess what? Most, if you're a good marketer, they're creative, right? So salespeople, I would be picking the brains of, you know, these marketers and be like, hey, listen, this is what I'm going for. How do we make this sound kind of like catchy, right? And, and then that's how you work together. And I think it just only is going to, grow yourself or grow your, your, your business in general. Would you, would you say that that is maybe one of the bigger things that have, has changed over the last year is that salespeople need to start branding themselves. Uh, it, would you say that's, that's a symptom of COVID or was that happening maybe before COVID happened? I mean, COVID definitely, I mean, you, you had to, right? I mean, I, nobody even, it's funny. It's like, nobody even heard of like, I mean, people knew logistics, but it's like, 
let's face it, COVID, I feel like the biggest industry that like started being talked about, would you agree, is is logistics, right? So definitely COVID played a part in, you know, having people start marketing themselves. But even to this day, it's still so small. Like, I just don't understand it, right? It's like, you look at certain people and it's like, even the people I've used to work with, like, for instance, I was bred into a company, great company, but it was like door-to-door sales or business-to-business sales. And they still have that mentality of like, Hey, listen, that's, that's, that's going to be our bread and butter. And I am a hundred percent about that, but they're not building year later. They haven't built anything from a brand standpoint and I guarantee they're hurting from it. Right. So, you know, the people that capitalized it, capitalized on, you know, branding themselves during COVID. Awesome. But the people that didn't are really hurting, but yeah, I mean, COVID definitely, what else are you going to do? Right. It's like at at some point you, you, you couldn't do anything, but market yourself. Right. And I think a lot of companies were were scared to let their employees sort of market themselves. But then when they're not working in the office each day, they're working remotely. I think it made it a lot easier for for those those types of people that are comfortable getting out into the world and and promoting themselves to have a little bit more access to it. But let's 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 switch gears a little bit, because let's say you're you're college. Can we can we hit on this real quick? Sorry. Yeah, please. You said something about like, it's, it's another prime example of why corporations, again, I'm not trying to switch the wheel, but it's like, let people be who they are, who they are, right? People, it's so like, it's something so simple, but think about it. I was so watered down. And again, I am, I, this is not me talking like bad about working for, you know, directly for a corporation, which it there's a ton of value in it, but it was so, I was so watered down. I mean, even in 2016, I tried to be posted on LinkedIn and I would get like, text from like a manager that says, Hey, you got to take that down or you got to do this. And it's like, that is an issue that like, that is an issue. You are like, you're not letting someone like be themselves. Even to this day, I I have, I have friends that are, you know, works work as an agent or franchise owners for other companies that are still like told, Hey, you can't do this. And it's just like, that is a bad, that is, that is a huge issue. It's like, you, you can't truly, I think it's just, it's, I think they operate at a they, they, I think the, the companies operate out of fear and that they think that if this employee posts too much, then they're going to get too big and then they're just going to leave us. But they're probably studies show that most millennials only stay in a job for two years anyway. So they're going to leave you regardless. So why don't you just capitalize on their branding well, but- and their attendant branding? Have some parameters, but let them be creative themselves. Most people in the professional world aren't going to be like, I'm pretty absurd, right? Like at some, for some <laughs> things, right? And I think people just, at the end of the day, people are going to do what they want to do and you got to just trust, right? And that's the biggest thing is it's like, if you don't, if you're already worried, I mean, there's that quote, it's like, you know, uh, treat people right so they don't leave or whatever. But it's like, if you are already not trusting your employees, uh, you know, to, to, to have a mind, have a mind of their own and, you know, represent your company and you can't, you don't believe that they can do that, then what's that say about your own hiring? process right it's like dude i mean at the end of the day if you can't do that you gotta you got way bigger issues than 
Right. <laughs> you, have to, you have to look a little bit internally for, for your processes. And I, and I think another one of those notes uh, that there's a lot of frustration, especially from, from folks that have switched gears. I know a lot of people that were in the restaurant industry switch gears to working in logistics. And the first thing that they, that happens to them is they sit them at a desk at a big 3PL or maybe not, maybe even a midsize 3PL. They sit them at a desk and they throw them a list of cold leads, uh, in order to work. And that's their introduction to the world of brokering and uh, brokering logistics and brokering freight. So if you were one of those people, what would be the first step that you would do? Would you work those cold leads or would you just start working and carving out your own path? I mean, you always have cold leads, right? But it's like, again, I was very fortunate enough to work with a company that, you know, I talk about it all the time. It's like, you know, I feel like a black swan. There's very few people that are just only have sold strategically, strategic accounts, right? All in accounts. So it's like, we were taught, you know, how the supply chain impacts businesses, right? How we were how to go to cold call, right? And people say cold calling, I more or less figured out, okay, hey, the supply chain impacts these departments, I'm going to go just gather information and pull out pain points and then go set a meeting with, you know, the, the, the owner of the company, right? Whereas other companies, like you just said, they get this, they get these cold, or they get these companies. And again, I was walking through industrial parks, I had a territory. So they were still companies, it was like basically getting a list. But I also had a roadmap to, to, to know what to do, how to qualify, uh, you know, my target customers that I wanted to go after. Whereas 99% of people in the, again, that's me just saying 99%, but a lot of people in this company or in this industry call companies and just say, Hey, do you ship? Let me get on the list. Let me get on the list. And I would listen, I would never go to that. Like, I mean, knowing, even knowing, even if I didn't know what I know now, it just doesn't seem like, scalable right it's like that's why there's so much turnover right that's why again people like me take business from people like that or companies like that that just literally do that right everybody ships no one have you don't even have a target audience so i'd be careful on who you go work for knowing what pick your boss right i say your first if, if you're right out of college and your first uh it's your first gig money yes you need to survive but I wouldn't so much worry about the money. I'd be worried about like wh who you're reporting to, what have they done, what have other reps said about them, how many reps have they scaled in their career, um, and because that's the person you're going to learn from the most, right, in the beginning. And I would I would value that versus the company you work for um, and the bells and whistles that the company offers. I would just strictly focus on what is who's the person you're going to report to. Uh, super smart insight. And, and there was another piece of advice that, that I heard you mention in another show that one of your sort of cold calling tactics is to reach out to the accounting side of mm -hmm. the business that you're targeting because you want to find out the pain points that they are going through. What are two to three, I guess, accounting insights that would make someone in sales better at their job? I mean, accounting is everything. Finance is everything. Like, I don't even have to call logistics or... I don't want to, like, let's be honest, I don't really want to call shipping, right? For the mere fact of 99% of the industry is literally blowing them up. They don't want to talk to me. They're going to just think, again, click, you know? So when I think about big picture and, you know, accounting, finance, that's impacting the company and supply chain plays a big role in that, right? So again, you can get all the information you need from accounting. Hey, listen, you just switch your brain set, right? Or your mindset. Instead of thinking shipments, you say, hey, 
do you, I always would say is like, Hey, do you handle, you know, the, uh, paying the invoices of your transportation? Yes. Okay. What's your process like when you allocate transportation costs or, or how do you, you know, how do you get bills? Oh, we get bills coming in left and right. Some from, you know, snail mail, some coming in electronically, some consolidated. It's a pain in the butt. I spend hours, hours a week just having to, you know, do a checks and balances on what we were quoted versus what we were billed. Okay. Ding, ding, ding. You're probably losing a lot of money. That's a lot of time spent doing tedious work when I can just, again, one-stop shop it, consolidate your invoices and break it down to how you want to see um, your invoices, right? Do you, do you, do you allocate by location? Do you allocate by, you know, GL codes? I can already have that consolidated on a weekly basis for you. That's a huge value add, right? That's just like from a process standpoint, hmm. you talk about accounting. It's like, okay, hey, most companies, right? Take this for example. Most companies don't even properly allocate their transportation costs into their own pricing model, right? So you'll go into a company or I'll call into a accounting and say, Hey, listen, um, you know, I know you guys are, you know, going into XYZ, uh, big box retailers. Um, when you guys are, you know, pricing out your product, are you guys, how do you guys like, um, price out, you know, allocate transportation costs in, into your price? Well, we just hack on at 12% of, uh, 12% of the sale. Well, how did you get to that 12%? Well, we just guessed. Okay. Well, nine times out of 10, that 12% is really 18% and they're eating, they're eating uh, a ton of costs that they don't even need to eat. Um, and they could have fixed just by simply doing a cost to serve analysis. And that's something that I've always just thought about in my head, right? Forget the rates. Let's, 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 let's focus on, you know, these kind of processes such as building out a cost of serve analysis and properly allocating our transportation costs into our pricing model so that not only do we just drive out, you know, transportation costs, we also increase profitability. Hmm. Really good insight. And th then you're bringing, That's you're funny. coming to an executive with that perspective of this is, you know, hard data that you're working with instead of just throwing something against the wall and hoping that it sticks. So in, in, instead you're offering real value from the jump. So that gives you sort of a leg up in that Think next level that. conversation. I mean, honestly, if, if you, if supply chain, and, and I get so frustrated, but like the supply chain transportation, listen, price matters and rates will always have some type of play in it. I think we just, everybody in this industry, you know, needs to change their mindset. And I think anybody that with that, you know, has ran a business, any executive or anybody with, you know, that's logical would, would, would agree that, you know, knowing your cost to serve is crucial before, before you even talk about rates, right? It's like, what are like, yeah, you got great rates, but it's like, does it matter? Like if you're not properly allocating your transportation costs or you don't know your cost to serve per, you know, customer location, it really doesn't matter. I'd rather have more ammo uh, for my customer where it's like, okay, here's your cost to serve. Now, when you go into these Walmart DCs, you have a better understanding. And again, nothing's going to be set, set in stone, but hypothetically, you know what it's going to cost you with transportation going into all these different locations to Walmart and all the, uh, to Walmart. And now you can start strategically going in and negotiating your pricing, um, your pricing with Walmart, right? Which is only going to benefit you. And then, then we can look at, okay, how do we, how do we negotiate specifically, you know, uh, transportation rates based upon the data we have from the cost of service analysis. Does that make, does that make sense to you? It's like having a program, like a, like you wouldn't just start 
again, like like a workout program, right? Hmm. Want to yeah, know? You're not just going to start squatting two hundred pounds. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh, it's like my body. I can maybe I can eat more calories than your body, but you just have to have some type of roadmap, and nobody really has a roadmap, and they're so strictly focused on really rates. Like it's 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 honestly only rates, and that's the biggest thing why I think also executives don't really pay attention, or you know, when I call into them is they think they they don't want to have a shipping conversation they want to have a business conversation and finance and accounting is so crucial to that i love it really really great insight michael where can people find more of your your sales gems and where can people find more of your work just uh linkedin i i post a lot um i'm building out a youtube thing i got some things in the works um i got videos on youtube um, that I probably haven't even posted on LinkedIn. Um, YouTube is Midwest Mike. Um, so yeah, find me on there. If you want to, you want to know me more personally, I don't, I haven't posted in a while since this whole COVID thing, but you can follow me on Instagram, Midwest Mike 87. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm mostly active on, on, uh, LinkedIn. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us. Wish we had more time to sort of dive into the the meat and potatoes more of the conversation, but appreciate your time today. And I encourage everyone to give you a follow because it's really great stuff, especially the marketers out there. Seriously. Love you. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Digital Dispatch Podcast. As always, you can find each show I publish along with more insight over on my website at digitaldispatch.io. If you like this podcast, and I think you'll love another show I host, Cyberly, which covers the attention economy, B2B marketing, and how it all ties into the world of logistics. That show airs every Thursday from 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, right here live on Freight Waves TV. There are also some links to my social media accounts along with my products and services that might be of interest to you found in the show notes or again over on my digitaldispatch.io website. If you found this episode interesting and or entertaining, be sure to share it with a friend. Word of mouth is the best kind of marketing. And since podcast discoverability has and remains an issue in this medium, I trust that folks like yourself will share it with those who would also find it useful. Until next time, my name is Blythe Brumleven. I will see you real soon.